Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. <laughs> he is risen. You know, um, as I was think- driving here, I was thinking about my message tonight, and I was thinking about a couple different things, and for those of you who don't know much about church history, um, Martin Luther, not the black guy, the white guy who was in Germany, uh, but he uh, uh, broke away from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church at that stage was the only kind of church that people knew really. And um, he had discovered something and it was grace, the grace of God. So he broke away from the Catholic Church and started the Protestant Church, which we are a part of really. And it's uh, really significant what he did in standing up and moving away from what everybody was agreeing with and everyone was pushing. And, you know, he, he organized the first translations of the Bible and things like that and really brought a lot of freedom to the church, which we're enjoying today. You know, where the Catholic Church had these screens up around about here um, uh, uh, and it was kind of like almost like the temple pattern where there was a Holy of Holies that you can't go there. Um, the, the, the Martin Luther movement broke down those screens and they would have a, a big Bible open in the front to say that nothing separates us from God and we can't do that. And so a lot of things really changed which were really, really good. And you know, it made me think that, especially over the past year, almost year and a half to be exact, maybe two and a half years, um, how many things I've realized I was maybe wrong on and I had to change. And I was just thinking about it on the drive here and I was like, it's so important that we remain humble. Because some things that we believe might just be tradition. Some things we believe might not be from the Word. It might sound like Word, it might appear like Word, but it's not Word. And obviously I was thinking about that on the drive here because I'm bringing something like that tonight. (laughs) Where it might challenge me, and I've been thinking about this for over a year now, and it was, it's, it's really come together nicely over the last year for me to be able to share this with you. Okay. Did God demand a sacrifice? Don't answer out loud, please. Think about it. Like, you know, there, there's songs about it. You know, the wrath of God satisfied. And there's scriptures which we base it on. But is it really a correct interpretation? I believe what we're going to talk about tonight is going to show you the goodness of God in a way that you haven't seen it before, if you, if you haven't heard something like this before. Because what happened, even while we were going through the Easter story, Madna was doing the majority of it with the boys, but uh, as she was going through, a question popped up that was, why did God have to kill His Son? Because that's what most Christians believe. So we're going to get into that. It's very quiet. Smile at your neighbor awkwardly. So, did God need the death of Christ to forgive your sin? I'm going to answer that tonight. Why did God just not deal with uh, sins without the sacrifice of Jesus? Okay? There's a lot of verses we're going to get into. Keep up with me. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 from the New Living Translation. It says, We'll get there. It says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now what I want to show you from this verse is that salvation is specific. 
Okay, salvation is specific. He saved us from? It's not a trick question. It's up on the board. Sin. He saved us from sin. Okay. He did not save us from poverty. Some of you are experienced lack and you know that. Okay. He did not save us from sickness, but he provided a way for healing. Okay. And why am I saying that? Because how many of you, now that you've received Christ, are righteous? Every single one of you are righteous. How many of you are trying to be righteous? We're all righteous. Okay? So, why are you trying to be wealthy? Why are you you trying to obtain healing? So, it's specific to sin. Okay? Salvation from sin. That's why we are righteous. We don't work to obtain righteousness. John 1, 29. New Living Translation says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is there sin in the world? It's not a trick question, although it contradicts your answer, it will contradict the board. There is sin in the world, so we've got to understand what is meant here by the greatest prophet Jesus said that ever lived, who is John the Baptist who said this. Okay? He didn't take away sin. Just walk down the street and you'll find sin. Amen? Look to your neighbor, you'll find some sin maybe. You know, there's sin everywhere. But the point is, is he, he didn't take away sin. He took away the consequence of sin. He put the, the, the payment for sin was Jesus. He didn't take away sin. Okay? I'm going to pick on you, Avi. You're a Christian. You've received Christ. You're righteous. 100%. Do you sin? Of course. Okay, the wife, the wife says yes. The wife says yes. Okay. But are you trying to be righteous? No, because you are righteous. That's your identity. Okay. See, like we, got, we, got, we get confused easily between identity. And often our identity, we tie up in what we do. And that's the series we're busy talking about. Is our identity in Christ and the freedom that we have. So, you know, stick with me every other week for, for that series. But Jesus took away the consequences of sin. John 5, 24. New Living Translation, Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God will, who, uh, who sent me will have eternal life. And they will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death into life. So if we are never condemned for our sins, like this says... It's not, they, it's not they will never be condemned because they do not sin. It's they will never be condemned because they, uh, for their sins that they have. What I'm trying to show you is the grace of God is bigger than your stupid. That's the goodness of God. Okay? So don't feel condemned for something you're struggling with. You can get freedom from it. You can walk in freedom, but God has already forgiven you. That's the point. When did He forgive you is another question which we'll get into. But we have eternal life the moment that we believe. Romans 8 verse 1, easy to read version. King James messes it up a bit here. Most translations mess it up a bit here. Because they add in a, a section which isn't in the original and they kind of you know, uh, confuse us with the second part. But in, in a lot of translations, easy to read as well, they, they keep the point, the main, the main thing, the main thing and say... So now anyone who's in Christ is not judged guilty. 
There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. Anyone who's in Christ Jesus is not judged guilty. Did they have sin? Yes, you make mistakes. You shouldn't be aiming to make mistakes, but you make mistakes. You miss the mark, and then you're not judged guilty for it. Why? Because He took away the judgment of sins for you. That's what we're celebrating this weekend. What is the consequence of sin? Death. Condemnation is the result of sin. No condemnation means that your sin has been accounted for. Your sin has been paid for. So we're celebrating the fact that you don't have to pay a debt that you owed. Okay? Did Jesus' death fulfill the law? What law? <laughs> don't answer. Because most of us think it's the Leviticus law. It's not. I used to teach that it was. It's not. He didn't fulfill the Leviticus law. How do, I, how do we know that? Because Jesus wasn't after the order of the Levitical priesthood. He came after the order. So, so in, the, in the Old Testament, there's, there's two different priesthoods. There's the order of the Levitical priesthood, which we automatically think the Levitical priesthood was Moses and the Ten Commandments and all the other 600-something laws. Moses didn't fulfill, and not Moses, Jesus didn't fulfill that. What did he fulfill? The order of Melchizedek, which came with Abraham in uh, uh, Abraham's time, not in Moses' time. Okay, Matthew chapter 5 I'm going to show you why I'm, I'm saying that. Matthew 5, 17 to 18 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. He's saying, I didn't come to abolish Genesis to Malachi. That's what Moses and the prophets did. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Jesus fulfilled it all, but what? Okay, Moses and Jesus are not conflicting. For years I thought that they were. Moses and Jesus are not conflicting. The law and Jesus are not conflicting. Think about that for a moment. Grace Pharisees will say otherwise. Why? Because we're trying to reject the law of Moses and be free from the law. We are free from the law. But what happened with the law? Moses was talking about Jesus. The law, now, 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 if I'm losing you with this, just take a deep breath and, and listen. <laughs> the law, you could call the gospel according to Moses. Why? Because it's the story of Jesus coming to save us. From, uh, uh, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what he wrote. From the Garden of Eden to the Exodus and everything else, Moses is writing the story of redemption. He's writing history, but he's primarily using history to illustrate the story of us being redeemed from captivity, taken out of Egypt and into a promised land. Okay? It's an, it's, it's a, it's a, an allegory. It's got a hidden meaning. Okay? He's telling a story. Mo Jesus explains Moses. If you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you look through all the letters of the Bible, the writers of the New Testament are continuously quoting Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament. Why? Because they're in harmony. They're not in conflict. I've had people come and say, we should dis disregard the Old Testament. 
That shows how much they know. Now, I did think like that for a while, but we don't disregard it. It's the new fulfills the old and gives it a richer, gives us a richer understanding of it. Okay? Jesus came to match everything, not to do away with it, to build on it. Moses was pointing to Jesus and Jesus fulfilled the words of Moses. We've looked at it previously, but why did, Jesus give, uh, why did Moses give the law? To show that we needed a Savior. To show a standard that we couldn't attain. Okay? So let's, let's go back to sacrifice, the idea of sacrifice. Was a human sacrifice ever required for forgiveness? Think about it. Did Jesus die to appease an angry God? That's the idea that a lot of us have. Okay? Was God angry and He just had to punish someone for sin? Because now all of a sudden it brings into question our harmony in the Bible and we think that God's different today. Now Hebrews shows us, and we'll look at one or two verses later, but Hebrews shows us that the blood of bulls and goats was not satisfactory for sin. It wasn't enough. It wasn't, it's not what God desired. A lot of people say that a sinless sacrifice was necessary for forgiveness. <laughs> They're saying that Jesus... You know what you're saying? If you're saying a sinless sacrifice was necessary for our salvation. You know what we're saying? That the, 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 the sacrifice was unto God. Now in our understanding, that's what we believe a lot of us is that the sacrifice was unto God. That God was the one who desired the sacrifice. But the Bible teaches otherwise. God did not require death. I'm going to show you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 from the New Living Translation. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. When he says Scriptures, he's talking about Genesis to Malachi. Okay? Verse 4. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Genesis to Malachi said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, to show that there was eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead and was alive. Okay? If you didn't, haven't watched it, go watch the movie Risen. It's awesome. Okay, really a good illustration of this whole thing. Everything in redemption, in what Jesus came to do for us, was already written in the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. What Jesus did and accomplished was the fulfillment of what was prophesied hundreds of years before it actually happened. That's the beauty of the Bible. It's amazing. Okay? Jesus didn't die according to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus died according to the Scriptures. Genesis to Malachi. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the account, the eyewitness accounts of the fulfillment of Scripture. Okay? This means that we can preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from Genesis through to Malachi without even touching the New Testament. That shows us how awesome the, New, the, the Old Testament is. And yet most of us, those pages are stuck together, or we don't push on those buttons ever. 
Okay? The death of Jesus. You know what they should do on the Bible apps? They show us the statistics of how often we, we go there. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm probably guilty of it too. You know, the death of Jesus was a fulfillment of Genesis to Malachi. So if Jesus died according to the law, was it required or demanded of the law that he died? Okay. Was human sacrifice required or even mentioned in the law? Did God demand the death of Jesus? Was this the doing of God? I'm just asking questions. I'm not answering anything I know. Were the Pharisees and the Romans working for, for God? Because that's kind of where our thinking has to go. If we're thinking that this was God who killed Jesus. He was this angry God. Full of anger at sin. Because sin cannot be tolerated. And so you know, Jesus was pure and spotless and innocent. And there he was. And so God just like dumped all his anger on him. Wow! That's the picture we have. And I'll just say it's wrong. Because God doesn't change. He is love. John 3.16, we'll get there later. For God so loved the world. Not God was just ticked off. God was angry. And he had to have, he demanded a sacrifice. So he said, I want a sacrifice. There's nothing like that. Okay. Did the death of Jesus satisfy the wrath of an angry God? Did God forsake anyone in the Bible because of sin? The answer is no. In Genesis, Cain kills Abel, the first murderer. Cain kills Abel. And then you read about it in the coming verses. God is fellowshipping with the first murderer. God is talking to the first murderer. And what does God do to the first murderer? He protects him. So that no one can avenge his brother's death. You never see God saying, Ah, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to fellowship with you because of your sin. This is good news for us. Because it shows that when we make mistakes and we sin, God doesn't disappear. That should be something to be thankful for. Did God ever want or demand blood? Because there's people asking the question out there and the church says yes. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read a couple of verses there. Verse 1. New Living Translation. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Verse 4, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said... You did not want animal sacrifices for, or sin offerings. Or sin offerings. Not just animal offerings, but sin offerings. God didn't want that. But you have given me a body to offer. Let's pause there. God is saying, you have given me a body to offer. Not, you are going to kill me. Okay? Verse 6, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Is God pleased with all those offerings? No. 
Verse 8. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sins, offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Who required sacrifice for sin? Was it God? That verse shows you that the law required of Moses. Moses wrote it. Now you might be saying, yes, but didn't God give that law to Moses? No. These were shadows, but it wasn't what God provided. It wasn't what God desired. God never wanted sacrifices. So who ordered them? The Levitical priesthood. Why did the Levitical priesthood exist? Because the Israelites rejected God. Not because God had this elaborate plan for a way to worship Him. If you come with, with a sacrifice, I'm going to do it like this, we're going to have the Holy of Holies and whatever. You know, God had to get involved in that, but it's the result of man, Israel, rejecting God. Because God said, I want to have a relationship with you. And what did they say? No, 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 no. Send, send us a, a, they said, we'll send Moses, our representative. You talk to Moses and, and we'll listen to Moses. Moses goes up the mountain to talk to God, has a, a, a fellowship with God, comes down, and they're already worshipping an idol that they created themselves. They didn't want that relationship. They rejected it. So we cannot take the sacrificial system and say that Jesus was sacrificed by God or for God. Okay? Sacrifices never brought the forgiveness of sins. It says there in Hebrews chapter 10, the beginning, it says that it didn't work. Okay? God doesn't take offering for sin. God doesn't require payment for sin. Who required the offering of sacrifice for sin? It was the law of Moses. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11. We see uh, Israel in the wilderness for 40 years going round and round. They have miracles happening and all of this. In verse 27, it says. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith. So now think about it. By faith. Okay? The Bible says anything that's not of faith is sin. So now they're saying, by faith, Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, which is happening this weekend. And to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death wouldn't kill the firstborn. Verse 29. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea. If you've watched The Prince of Egypt, you know what I'm talking about. Because eh? <laughs> I'm sure you've watched the movie, you haven't read the book. A lot of it. It's, it's the pages stuck together. But the, when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. So now saying, by faith they went through the Red Sea. Then look at this, verse 30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Did you know that between verse um, 29 and 30, there's 40 years unaccounted for? Why? Because there's 40 years we're not of faith. <laughs> by faith ended at the Red Sea. And it started up again later because of unbelief. See, Christianity is also a faith. It's unbelief and a belief issue. So did the law require an innocent man to bring about forgiveness of sins? 
Leviticus 18, 21 says, Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech, for you must not bring shame on the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. What's that saying? God doesn't want sacrifices of children. Okay, if it's sin for God, it's sin for us. If it's sin for us, it's sin for God. Okay, so this is a verse showing us disapproval for sacrifice. Next one, 2 Kings 23, 10. Then the king defiled the altar of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Himon. So no one could ever again use it as to sacrifice a son or a daughter in the fire as an offering to Molech. And then let's go on to the next verse there. You got it there? My, my note's closed for a second there, so. There we go. Deuteronomy 12, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God the way that the other nations worship their gods. For they perform for their gods every detestable act the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. For example, never sacrifice your son or your daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft. If it's sin for me, it's sin for God. If it's wrong for me, it's because God thinks it's wrong. Okay? Therefore, the offering of Jesus wasn't a sacrifice according to the Levitical priesthood. Because God wouldn't offer His Son, or accept His Son as an offering, if it was wrong. I'm going to put, don't worry, we're going somewhere. Okay, some of you are, are upset now. Don't be upset. Matthew 5.17 says that he came to fulfill the law. We've looked at that verse. Okay. Who did God sacrifice his son to? This is showing us that he didn't sacrifice his son. Okay, so now if Jesus was a sacrifice, who received the sacrifice? Was it the devil? Was it God? Was God organizing payment to himself? You see what the problem, if we, if we think like this, in, in, in terms of sacrificial, I was, uh, 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 I just remember reading a book about two years ago, and the, um, I don't know what his official title is, but the writer was just saying how the idea of a sacrifice is not a biblical thinking. It's pagan thinking. It's the way the pagans were. That's why we have so many verses saying, don't be like the pagans who sacrifice their kids. So is now God saying we mustn't be like pagans, but he can be a pagan. Doesn't work like that. Psalm 106, 36 to 38 says, They worshipped their idols, which led to their downfall. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them uh, to the idols of Canaan. They polluted the land with murder. They served their idols. They didn't serve God. Okay, sacrifice of idols is not with God. Innocent blood is murder. Was Jesus innocent? So then it was murder. It wasn't an offering. It wasn't a sacrifice in this sense. Okay, God is never involved with death. I know I'm bringing up a lot of questions maybe as well, but we'll answer them in the next few weeks. 
God is never involved with death. How did death come in? It came in because of sin. So God can't be involved in death. Okay? Jeremiah 19 verse 4. For, the, for Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. People burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before acknowledged by this generation, by their ancestors or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place, uh, this place with the blood of innocent children. This is talking about something that God doesn't like. It detests it. Jesus did not fulfill the Levitical priesthood, but the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Keep that in mind. Okay? So he wasn't coming as an offering for sin to God. Exodus 23 verse 7. Be sure never to cha charge anyone falsely with evil. Never sentence an innocent or blameless person to death. For I never declare guilty person to be innocent. Uh-oh. If you think about what I just read there, you should be saying, uh-oh. The Lord didn't allow innocent people to be put to death. Deuteronomy 19, verse 10 to 12. That way you will prevent the death of innocent people in the land of the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. You will not be held responsible for the death of innocent people. But suppose someone is hostile towards a neighbor and deliberately ambushes and murders him and then flees to one of the cities for refuge, of refuge. In that case, the elders of the murderer's hometown must send agents to the city of refuge to bring him back and hand him over to the dead pers person's avenger to be put to death. What this is saying is that death is permitted under the law for justice. Okay? So it's, it's, it's justice then. That's what this is saying. It's not sacrifice. It's mercy. It's not payment for sin. It's judicial. Okay, Deuteronomy 21, 21 to 23. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shall uh, thou be uh, put away evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death... So there's a sins worthy of death. And he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain there all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for that he, is hanged, is, uh, he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord God has given you as an inheritance. Does it sound like Jesus, this verse? Yes. Okay. This is, is, is prophecy. But there's a sin worthy of death. So was Jesus innocent? So, then it was breaking the law because you cannot kill an innocent man. And did the law provide for another to take the punishment of another for their crime? Yes. So that's what took place. Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even of the tiniest income from your garden, your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. 
You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What are the more important things? Mercy, justice, faith. Okay, so if I have mercy on someone and I stand in their place and take their punishment, I am becoming guilty, even though I am innocent. So the death of Jesus wasn't a sacrifice for sin to appease God, but it was a sacrifice or an offering to appease justice. Not God. God didn't demand blood. Justice did. And we struggle with that concept because we're thinking of an individual for so long who needed justice. But God is a God of order. He can't just decide He doesn't want the moon there anymore. Because it's going to cause some problems. You know what? The sun is too bright for me. Let's get rid of it. God won't allow that. God won't do that. Why? Because He's a God of order. Things are set up. So he can't just do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's restricted himself to what he's wanted to restrict it to, want himself to. Okay? This shows us the goodness of God. It shows us the mercy of God. The death of Jesus didn't cause God to love us. It was the declaration of his love. He came because of love. It didn't cause God to forgive you. He is forgiveness. But it definitely established the fact that now you are completely forgiven of everything. Okay? John 15, verse 13. We need, we need to know God it never runs away from sinners. We do. Because we, 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 we don't like it. <laughs> but um, God doesn't. He never abandons sinners. John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love of God motivated this, this whole salvation rescue plan. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to save and give, not take. Okay? He came to give his life as a ransom. ransom. A ransom is a price paid to release into freedom someone who's in bondage. Now follow me with this. This is, this is like we're getting towards the cherry on the top here. Okay? This is like the dessert of your lunch today. Which is very good. Thank you for asking. So ransom is a price paid to release someone from bondage. Okay? So who was the person, the, who was the ransom paid to? If Jesus, yeah, if Jesus was ransom paid to God, then God is the one that was holding us in bondage. But He wasn't. He came to rescue us. Not from Himself. That's schizophrenia. He didn't come to, 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 to save us from Himself. He came to rescue us for Himself. This is really the goodness of God here. It's not detracting from the cross. It's not saying that, 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 that it wasn't significant and all this. It, it, it's awesome. He's Good Friday. I love celebrating it. We celebrate it nicely. And Easter Sunday, we love it. We're celebrating nicely. We're remembering what He did for us. And we, we're celebrating that. I believe it 100%. But we've got some things messed up about it. 
which are actually detracting from the, 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 the goodness of God. Because then you get some unbelievers that come with questions and they're like, but why would God want to kill His Son? And as believers, we're like, uh, um, uh, listen to this teaching. On, uh, you know, and then we give them something to listen to to distract them. And the teaching didn't sometimes answer the question. Who was the ransom paid to? If it was God, then God is the one holding us in bondage. God is better than the mafia. You're talking about the mafia then. Okay? Ransom is purchasing freedom for slaves. Ransom pleases a captor. God is not a captor. God is not a captor. He was the liberator. He, he organized the payment for freedom from the consequences of sin, which is death. If you're a believer, you're going to live forever. That's the beauty of this. Jesus comes to live inside of you as a believer, and that's for eternity. He doesn't come and go. He comes and He stays. A person can stand in the place of another to pay for the consequences of someone who is guilty. Okay? John chapter 10 verse 11 shows us this. Jesus speaking, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That word for in the Greek is hooper, which uh, means on behalf of. So he's not just giving a gift, he's doing it in our place. It's instead of, it's on behalf of. Jesus gave his life, not just like as a something out there, he gave his life in our place because we should have been there. Jesus was supposed, or the sheep was supposed to go, but the shepherd went instead. When Jesus when did Jesus give his life for, his, for the sheep? Don't answer. Think about it. Because you're going to be wrong. When did Jesus give his life for the sheep? Before they were good? No. Okay. Jesus was... Uh, let me ask the question again. Was Jesus innocent when he died on the cross? No. He was guilty. He was 100% guilty. If you stuck with me on the journey, you would draw the, draw the conclusion then. John chapter 10, verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so now I, uh, so I know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. His death was voluntary. His death was voluntary. Isaiah 53, verse 5 to 6. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The word iniquity there means perversity, depravity. It's not just, ah, oh, you know what, I hit someone. It's, it's perversity. It's depravity. It's, it, 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 it's, it's the worst thing that you can imagine. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Are you ready for this one? Adam didn't go astray for us. You're not in the mess that you are because of Adam only. This says we've all gone astray. You can't blame Adam. We've all gone astray. Okay? 
That's another story. At, Jesus, at death, Jesus was guilty of my sin. Justice was served because he had my iniquity laid on him. Your sin, your iniquity, your perversion was laid on Jesus and that's why he was guilty. Because he stood in the place of guilty men and women. Not as a sacrifice unto God, but because you deserve to be there, just as demanded that you die. But Jesus said, I will fulfill justice. God said, I will fulfill justice. And God himself came in the form of human man, uh, flesh and laid his, aside his majesty to be able to be murdered. 1 Peter 3.18 New century version says, Christ himself suffered for sins once. He was not guilty, but he suffered for those who were guilt, are guilty to bring you to God. His body was killed, but he was made alive in the spirit. So Jesus suffered for the guilty. He chose to stand in my place as the guilty. Exodus 32, 31 to 32. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, How terrible! How terribly these people have sinned. They have made for themselves gods from gold. Now please forgive them. So the, uh, the Lord says that. And then he says, uh, uh, Now please forgive them of the sin. If you will not, then erase my name from the book in which you have written the names of people. Okay, so what does it say? Moses went back to the Lord and he said, These people have sinned. And he said that they have made for themselves a god of gold. And now he's saying, please forgive them. What is he doing? He's asking for mercy. He's saying, have mercy. Don't give them what they deserve. Moses makes a state of mercy, being willing to stand in the gap for people. It's a picture of Jesus standing in the gap for us. But what this is also showing us is God doesn't, uh, sorry, death doesn't satisfy God. God doesn't require death. Justice requires death. God wants mercy. Hebrews 2, 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son always became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Look at that verse and answer my question. Who had the power of death? The devil. Okay, what was the bondage? Death. Okay. God doesn't fellowship with death. God is not involved in death. Death was the result of sin. But here we see who has the power of death? God. It's a trick question. It's a trick answer there. It, it was the devil. So why was Jesus' death necessary? That's, that's what we want to know. God didn't require death. The Bible prophesies about Jesus' death, but it also prophesies about His resurrection. God is in life. If we accuse God of death, we accuse Him of sin. Because death is the result of sin. When Jesus died, He didn't go to the Father. When did Jesus go to God? 
after the resurrection. Hello, that's pretty cool. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, by the giving of God, should taste death for every man. We should not taste death. If we believe in him, we will not taste death. I'm not talking about dying in this world, because when, as soon as we close our eyes and breathe our last, we open them in eternity. The unbeliever is not so lucky. That's another story for another day. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins because they've already passed from death to life. I am not going to taste death because I've already passed from death to life. Grace, the giving of God, not the sacrifice of God. The giving of God. John 3, 16. 15 first. So that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. How do we have eternal life? By believing in Him. Verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. There is no eternal life in death. Okay? We have new life by the resurrection. This isn't speaking about his death, this verse. It's speaking about his life, his resurrection. We, you know, if, it, if Jesus just died, we wouldn't have new life. But because of the resurrection, we have new life. So where is the giving of Jesus? In his death and resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. More, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part of the same, that through, the, through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So who, who brought death into the world? Man, because of sin. Okay. Who was using death? We mustn't blame the devil for that one. <laughs> Who was using sin and, and, and death against man? You can blame the devil for that one. The devil. Okay. The devil had the power of death. Father God did not. Father wasn't involved in the death of Jesus. But he took the life, it took the life of the Father to bring Jesus back to life. He was involved in the resurrection. Luke 22, verse 53. We're coming, we're landing here. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your honor and the power of darkness. He's talking about the power of darkness. He's starting to speak about what he's about to experience or what he's experiencing with the, the, the death. And it's showing it's that the power of darkness is the power of death. Okay, you see the power of darkness in the death of Jesus. You don't see the power of God in the, in the death of Jesus. You see the power of God in the resurrection. Okay, they don't mix. What death tried to do, the power of God undid. So death took Jesus and the power of God brought him to life. Matthew 16 verse 21. From that time forth, Jesus uh, began to show him, unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things 
of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. Who killed Jesus? The elders, the chief priests and the scribes. Was it God? No. Next verse, Matthew 17, 23 to, uh, 22 and 23. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of? Betrayed into the hands of men. And they shall kill him. Not God. They shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. How? By the power of God. Who betrayed him? A man, Judas, into the hands of men. It's not sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's not sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's God in the hands of angry sinners. God was never angry. God is not angry. He, he, he is love. That's what I'm trying to show you this evening, is that He is love. He loves you. He's never angry with you. He wasn't angry at the cross. His anger wasn't satisfied at the cross. He was dealing with your problem and my problem. To make a way for us to be able to have eternal life so we could be with Him forever. Who killed Jesus? Death, man, all of that. But who raises Him up? The power of God. Mark 9, 31. For He taught His disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. They shall kill Him. And after that He is killed, He, God, shall raise Him up. He shall rise up the third day. Another verse on that, Acts chapter 2. You can see this throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through His name, as you do well know. But God knew what would happen. And he prearranged, His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed Him to the cross and killed Him. Not God, because then it says, but God released him from the horrors of death, not from the gift of God, death, but the horrors of death, and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. We often think God was schizophrenic, playing his own little game. Death killed Jesus. Death came in because of sin. Justice demanded that, that uh, 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 payment for the sin... Jesus took our sin on himself, went in our stead, and said, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. Acts chapter 10, 39 to 40. We apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. God didn't kill Jesus, but God raised him to new life, to life. 1 Corinthians 2.8 Which none of the princes of this world knew. For they, had they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who demanded the death of Jesus? The princes of this world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 This is what you want to hear. For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. For us means He took our place. Jesus took your place, paid the debt that you couldn't pay to give you His life. This is the sacrificial love of God. Not the angry God who you're trying to please. 
and Jesus was trying to please on your behalf, God loves us. For God so loved the world that He reached out to us to save us, to rescue us. For four more verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is something else for your uh, 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 thinking at a later stage in our discussion. But when was the offering of the body? It wasn't on the cross. It was in the resurrection. It was in the resurrection where he was offered. Because now it's life. In the death, he is sacrificed by love to take our position in sin. But in the resurrection, he's offered to the Father to make us right with God. Because his, the resurrection is what makes us right with God. John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's dealt with your sin. You shouldn't try and deal with your sin. You should look at the payment and say thank you. 1 John 2 verse 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That not only the sins, uh, our sins, but the sins of the whole world. This word atoning sacrifice here is atoning sacrifice for justice, not for God. It's atoning sacrifice in justice, not between us and God, but injustice. God couldn't just say, ah, we're just going to wipe that out. We're not going to do it that way. Because things had been set up in this direction. Redemption was the paying of ransom. The ransom was not to God. Redemption was the paying of a ransom, not to God, but for justice. After Jesus obtained eternal redemption, He rose from the dead as an offering to God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus. What is a wage? Payment. Something that you earn. Something that you worked for. This is going to bless you. Listen to this one. Okay? No matter how much you work in sin, you are not going to collect your wage. It's not an excuse to go and sin, but that is just so awesome, the grace of God there. For the wages of sin is death. Then it says, but the gift of God, the giving of God, is the giving of God, for God so loved the world that He gave. The giving of God is eternal life. No matter how much you work in sin, you're not going to collect your wage. Which is death. Grace says that the worst sinner is justified by faith. Not because they lived right. Not because they tried hard. But because they believed in Jesus and what, they, what Jesus has done for them. That's grace. Legalism. Religion. Every other religion will say, you've got to do right. You've got to try harder. You're not a good person. Let's check out the scales. There's no scales in heaven for this. There's no scales in heaven. You're either righteous or you're not. And righteousness has nothing to do with your actions. Your actions have everything to do with your witness now. Your actions have everything to do with you enjoying Christian life here and now. 
But nothing, it's got nothing to do with heaven. It's got rewards there, yes, but we're not talking about righteousness. Jesus died to sin. He didn't die to God. Jesus paid the debt of sin, not the debt to God. The gift or the giving of God is eternal life. God's Spirit coming to live in us forever. Amen? This is the goodness of God that we can dwell with Him forever because He's dealt with the problem that stood between us. Because justice said, you don't deserve it. And Jesus said, I'll take what they deserve so they can get what I deserve. Eternal life. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch by email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page, Grace Life Rondebosch.